Good morning. <clears throat> well, if you were sleeping, now you're awake, so that's good. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been up here. I think uh, not since the dome, and it was a little colder then, so if I start to sweat, you'll know that's why. <laughs> uh, so this morning, we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 to 20, 26. So as is our custom here at Redemption, I'd like to invite you to stand and we'll read God's word together. Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You can take a seat. Lord God, um, our prayer this morning is that you would be glorified. Lord, would your truth, the truth, be proclaimed and heard? Would we be submitting ourselves to your word, Lord? Would we be humble in heart and willing to follow you? I pray that you would be magnified in all things, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, before we dive into the passage, I'm just going to take a second to briefly overview what's going on in the Galatian church and why Paul is writing this letter. Um, and the brief, um, the emphasis that Paul is making in this letter is that the believer is made right by God, or before God, by faith in Jesus. And this is what allows him to live a new kind of life. So in Galatians 1, Verses 6 to 7, Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the Galatian church, which is made up of both Jews and Gentile converts, is turning away from salvation by faith. Galatians 3, verses 1 to 5, Paul writes again, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you so, um, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain 
if indeed it was in vain. So then, he who, he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Paul's point here is that salvation can only be found in Christ through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. He further emphasizes this in Galatians 2.16. He says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. This message that Paul is writing to the Galatian church, um, it's echoing what the prophets said to the nation of Israel. In Isaiah 64, 6, Isaiah the prophet says this, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Before God, we are completely broken, and it is only through trusting in him that we can be saved. Paul's conclusion in, in Galatians 3.24 is, is this. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law, moral law, knowledge of right and wrong, rules, it is all designed by God to reveal our sin and to lead us by, to Christ. It is impossible to stand in righteousness before God through human effort. There's no set of rules that can make us right before God. The only way to be made right with God and experience his promises is to live by faith in Christ Jesus. And this faith, this new way of living, it will radically change the believer. So let's look at the passage. Paul begins, but I say in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. I want you to see in this section, in verses 16 to 18, that walking by the Spirit frees and enables the believer to serve God. It allows us to live this new life. So why is Paul telling the believer to walk by the Spirit? Well, in the Galatian church, um, this new gospel of salvation by works is actually leading to division. In Galatians 5.13 um, to 15, Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So there's division. Turning away from God, salvation by faith has disrupted the church. And Paul is offering a new way to counteract that, a way to overcome the corrupt desires in the believer. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? How do we do this? What does this look like? Well, in Galatians 5.18, Paul says, if you are led by the Spirit. 
And again, in Galatians 5.18, there's similar... Or, um, Paul goes on in Galatians 5.25. He says, if we live by the Spirit... Um, I'm reading the NASB, but if you have ESV, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. If you have NLT, it says, follow the Spirit. If you're reading King James, it says, walk orderly. So this idea of walking by the Spirit, this word is actually a military word, and it means to follow in orderly fashion. March in rank and file. It's walking forward in a way that is conforming to the directions and surrendering to the authority of a commander. Have you ever seen a military parade? Um, when I was younger, I was in cadets, and we actually did this. We'd form up on the parade square in our troops. There'd be a bunch of different troops. Each one would have its own commander, and we'd march around the parade square, keeping in step, following different commands. There might be a, a left wheel or a right wheel or about turn. And this took a lot of work, took a lot of effort. And there's a few things that we had to know to be able to march like this. We had to know, first of all, who is leading? Which commander is leading your troop? Because every different commander might be calling out different commands. We had to have knowledge of the orders. We had to be able to follow the instructions and know what they meant. We had to be listening. We had to hear the orders. We also had to be watching our commander. He would be out in front, and based on where he is, that's where everybody else would determine how far away they are and where they're marching. You also had to be willing to submit. You had to surrender to his desires. You couldn't just march off that direction when the rest of the troop was going that way. And it took intentional effort. I don't know if you have ever sat in the mall and watched people walk, but Everybody has a different gait. Some people kind of shuffle around like this. If you're tall like Chris, Pastor Chris or Dave Meisner, you're going to take some big, massive, awkward steps. <laughs> and if you're normal height like me, well, <laughs> there you go. The, the point is, we all walk differently. We all have a different cadence and stride. But if we're to be walking in unison, following a leader, we need to surrender our own inward timing and conform our steps to the one who's leading us. This instruction to walk, it's in reference to how we conduct ourselves from day to day. It encompasses all aspects of our daily living. Our walk includes all things with which we are occupied. Furthermore, to walk implies continual progress, movement forward, the believer should not be stagnant. We should be advancing, growing, maturing. And this work is only done by God through faith. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And Philippians 1.6 says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is God doing the work in the believer. So 
What does walking by the Spirit look like? Um, You know, I've been looking at this passage, and I can't come up with a formula for you. I'm not going to give you seven steps, do this and this and this, and then you'll be walking by the Spirit perfectly. I don't think... I don't think scripture necessarily says that. It's like walking by faith. It's, there's somewhat of a mystery. But we can see some examples from scripture of what it looks like, of what it looks like for the believer to be walking by the Spirit. How God does this work is through faith. So I'm going to give you five examples. Number one, know God and know his word. For it is by knowing God are knowing his word that we know God. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 6. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. We're further encouraged in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. We need to know God and know his word. Set your eyes on things that are eternal. Second, you need to know your position. You need to know where and how you stand before God. Believer, you are in Christ. Colossians chapter 3 continues in verse, verse 5. Um, or verse 3, it says, You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We've been made alive. And this is, if you are a believer, if you've placed your faith in Christ, this is his promise to you. You belong to him. You are in Christ. He has renewed you. And we we tend to forget that. I think, I know at least for myself, I get distracted. I start looking, I start gazing inward, thinking about what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, what I can do better. And I think it's in those moments where we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and look to Christ because he's the one that does the work. Know your position. You are in Christ. Third, how we can walk, or what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. Remain steadfast in the gospel truth. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless 
and beyond reproach. This is where we are now. Christ has redeemed us. While we were still enemies, he died for us. This is the gospel truth. This is the greatest miracle of all time, is that God could restore a sinner such as I and bring me into right relationship with him. We need to be faithful and remember that and not, not turn away from, from the truth that God does the work in us. Fourth, just like marching, we need to submit ourselves to the will of God. We need to humble ourselves and ask for, for help. I think I have a different reference here than what is in the notes. Um, Romans 11, verse 33 and onward says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For from him and through him and to him are all things. It is only by the power of God that we can live this Christian life. And by the power of God, we are called to submit our bodies and our minds, all that we are, to Christ. It takes a lot of humility. And finally, flee sinfulness, expose evil, and repent. But we're going to come back to that one. So if this is a little snapshot of what it looks like to walk by the Spirit, what's the alternative? Paul carries on to, in Galatians 5, to talk about walking by the flesh. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So we can either walk by the Spirit or we can carry out the desires of the flesh. What is the flesh? What exactly does the flesh desire? Simply put, the flesh is the unsurrendered self. It is man striving to act independently of God. These desires are unhealthy and unholy longings. And we see this right from the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 4, um, God is speaking to Cain. He says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Sin is seeking to destroy us. It wants to master and control us. But we need to battle against it through the power of the Holy Spirit. The passage goes on in Galatians verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. Both the spirit and the flesh require submission. 
We can only be surrendered to one master, either the Lord Jesus Christ or ourself, our rebellion. One leads to life and the other leads to death. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is death. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, as we've already read, says, The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So that you may not do the things that you please. God desire, God desire, the desires God has put in our hearts by his spirit are constantly at war with our sinful cravings, working to restrain us from ungodliness and conform us to his image. So this is great. I have surrendered my life to the Lordship of Christ. This is good news. Life is easy. It's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. This, I've been filled with the spirit, and he's just punted the flesh out of there. Great. Sermon's over. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not really the truth. It's like marching. We have to keep walking, and we need to stay in step. But that's not, it's not easy. Um, I know when I used to be in cadets, trying to stay in step, I had to be focusing on what I was doing. I had to make sure I was matching my stride to that of my commanding officer. And sometimes we get out of sync. And we need to do a little hop skip to catch up and get back on the right foot. And scripture warns us of this. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, we're expressly encouraged or exhorted in verse 30. Chapter 4, verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Believers, when we turn back to the flesh and subject ourselves to sinful longings, we grieve the Holy Spirit. This section concludes in verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Romans chapter 8 again talks about this same thing, being led by the Spirit. In verse 14, it says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The believer has been eternally freed from sin and death by the work of the Spirit of God. We've been made alive. And the only way for us to continue to experience this freedom now while we're living in a body that is touched by sin is to live by the power of the Holy Spirit in moment-by-moment surrender to his leading, guiding, and prompting. The next section speaks about the fruit of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh. If you're anything like me, you get to these lists and you kind of just gloss over them. Um, It's really easy to forget where we are without Christ. And these are pictures of our our old life. And so I tend to just kind of read through them quickly and move on. But 
to remember how broken we are, all you need to do is look at a little baby. I've got a nine-month-old daughter, daughter, and a couple weekends ago, we were at my in-law's place, and she was sitting on one of her aunt's laps, and her 12-month-old cousin was sitting on the other aunt's lap, and he's playing happily with this little toy, and my daughter looks over at him and says, oh, or thinks, that's a colorful toy. What does she do? She reaches over and rips it out of his hand. And him being a little bit older and more coordinated, he just kind of looks over at her and just grabs it back. And instantly her face just goes beet red. And her arms go up in the air and she starts shaking. And she grabs it back from him. And this goes on for a while until one of the aunts thinks, oh, I've got the solution. I'm going to fix this. Grab a second toy and give it to the child that didn't have one. Well, instantly they both see the new toy and they both want it and forget about the old one. And... The exchange continues. <laughs> it's, it's amusing, but it's, we're, we're not much different, to be honest. So we're going to take a closer look at this list, and I'm going to highlight a few. <clears throat> so the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. This is sexual immorality. Impurity. This is any moral uncleanliness. Sensuality. This is an unhealthy preoccupation with pleasure, an addiction to satisfying our desires of the senses. This is a person who is controlled by the physical. What, what are you struggling with? Is it eating too much? How about binge-watching? Too much TV? Maybe you struggle with oversleeping. Maybe your eyes tend to wander when they shouldn't. Idolatry. This is the worship of false gods. It's the worship of an image and a, second, a violation of the second commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. It says, You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on the earth, beneath or in the water under the earth. So this is an image that's been made by man. And being such, it comes from the mind of man. And since it originates from within a man, I suggest that it is made in the image of the man. I suggest that idolatry is nothing less than self-worship. So I ask you, is there something that you are holding on to that you must become or must accomplish in order to feel fulfilled or complete? What images of self are you holding on to that are controlling your behavior? Maybe you see yourself as a successful business person. Or how about the perfect parent? An A-plus student? A winning athlete? There are many things, many images of ourselves that we can be controlled by. Passage goes on with sorcery, which is magical arts. Now the next date... I want you to pay attention to. There's a common thread. See if you can identify it. Goes on, enmities. This is ill will, opposition or hostility. Strife, quarreling, contention, conflict. Jealousy. This is a contentious rivalry, punitive zeal, fervent-minded 
indignation. Outbursts of anger, this is angry passion that boils over. We can't contain it. Disputes or rivalries, as the ESV puts it. In other places, this is translated as selfish ambition. Dissensions, this is partisanship, a prejudiced adherence to a particular point of view. Factions or divisions, as the ESV says. This is a group seeking its own interests. This, is, this Greek word here is actually where we get the English word heresy. It's someone who has adhered to a false teaching and is using it to seek advantage. Envy, resent for an advantage enjoyed by another. Have you noticed the theme? These last eight are all similar in that they include an element of conflict and disunity. God's people are not to be identified by divisive behavior. I think this is why um, when you become a church membership here, a member here at Redemption, one of the things that you are asked to um, adhere to or commit to is not gossiping about one another, shutting it down. We don't want any division in our church. We are to be unified and to be known as ones who are both at peace and bring peace. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, 5 verse 9, Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 to 16, I think Paul, um, Pastor Chris referenced this verse last week. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We're supposed to use our gifts and our talents, our time and our energy, to build up one another within the church. So what's your propensity for division, dispute, and quarrel? And when you're fighting with someone, when you're allowing that anger to boil over, who's being glorified? You or God? The passage in Galatians continues with drunkenness, carousing, which is wild partying, and things like these. So what are these things? What, what, is, what, what do all these deeds of the flesh have in common? Well, I think that there are four observable characteristics here. The first one is that they all result from the elevation of self above God. They all result from the elevation of self above God. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Christ says, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Second, these all involve an unsurrendered or unbridled will. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. 
says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. We need to consider these evil desires dead. They need to have no power in our lives. We need to be surrendered to Christ. Third, they all cause cause division, strife, and disunity. When we're trying to make ourselves right before God, when we're living according to our own desires, all we do is cause chaos. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, sorry, 17, verse 19, says that he who loves transgression loves strife. He who raises his door seeks destruction. And fourth, magnifying the desire of man instead of the desires of God is what leads to these evil deeds. Isaiah the prophet acknowledges this. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 to 9, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to magnify God's thoughts. We need to magnify God's desires. Paul concludes this section with a really heavy statement. He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? It's a pretty weighty statement. It's similar to what Paul says in Galatians 5.4 that those who are seeking to be made right before God in self-effort have been severed from Christ. He says they have fallen from grace. Brothers and sisters, this is where every one of us is left without the work of Christ. We're cut off. We're dead. Excluded from life. This is both a warning of the judgment awaiting the unrepentant sinner and a sober reminder of the destructiveness of our sin. To the believer, if God's Holy Spirit is revealing sin in your life, don't ignore it. Confess your sin. Repent. Submit again to Christ's rule. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, he doesn't know you, you don't have a relationship with him, this is an invitation. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. Stop resisting the truth and allow him to define what is right and wrong. Ask for his mercy, for he is merciful. We serve a good God. And you can do this today through faith. Again, I turn to the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. So, 
When we walk by the flesh, when we submit to sin, our lives are marked by destructive, divisive, self-obsessive behavior that leads towards destruction. This behavior is unworthy and wholly unsuitable for one who claims to be a child of God. But there's good news. We're not just left there. That's not the end of the passage. It goes on in verse 22 to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to see here that walking by the power of the Holy Spirit produces change. There is hope. There's good news. And as believers, Christ is at work in our hearts. So it begins by calling it the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit that we're about to read about, it's the natural product of a life that is energized and filled by the Holy Spirit. It's produced by the power of God. It's congruent with his nature. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, the perfect man. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. This is benevolence toward God and man. Joy. This is the emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. We have Christ. We have what our hearts truly desire. That should fill us with joy. How often do you think about that? Peace with God and man. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines peace as the state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. Are you content with your earthly lot today? Patience. By the Spirit, we are divinely enabled to restrain our ill will towards others. Kindness. This is goodness expressed towards others. Faithfulness. Our goodness, inward moral character. Faithfulness. When we're controlled by the Spirit, we are completely persuaded of the truth of God's Word. Gentleness. We become meek and humble. We become self-controlled, measured in our responses, and aware of our thoughts before others become aware of them. All of these are the result of unity with God, and they lead to right fellowship within the church. Now, the passage goes on to reveal what I think are four things about the person who is walking by the Spirit. First, he is free from condemnation. Galatians 5.23 says, Against such things there is no law. We are not condemned. When we've been made new, restored, sealed with the Holy Spirit, we've been freed. We're no longer under the law. Second, he is at peace with God. Um, those who belong, um, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, your will has been surrendered. Christ is your master. We're in, we're, our relationship with the Lord has been restored and we're at peace with our creator. Third, he is not ruled by his flesh. 
He who is walking by the Spirit, who belongs to Christ Jesus, has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The flesh, sin, it is no longer your ruler. It is not in authority over you. And fourth, he has been made spiritually alive. All those who are in Christ Jesus are spiritually alive. Verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So how are we to walk by the Spirit? It's just like that marching analogy. We need to know who's our leader. We need to be able to see him, hear him. We need to be listening. We need to surrender. And we need to trust that his leadership is good and right. Galatians 5.26 goes on, says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Walking by the Spirit fundamentally changes how, we're, how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our church, the lives of Christians, should be defined by unity. So in summary, The work of the Holy Spirit within the believer is to free the believer from the condemnation of sin while transforming the life of the Christian, producing godly character. This new life is produced in the believer through faith. It is marked by unity within the church, and it stands in stark contrast to the old way of life. It should be clearly visible to the believer and to the world. And most importantly, this new way of living brings pleasure and glory to God. Now, as we conclude our worship here, I want to leave you with three points of application and reflection that you can take home this week. My first question is this. Are you striving after righteousness in your own strength? Or are you surrendering yourself to the Spirit's work in your life? How have you been trying to make yourself right with God? God has given us a new way of life, walking by the Spirit. What set of rules and regulations or principles are you adhering to out of a false belief that it will make you right before God? Is it your Bible reading habits, prayer, service? If only I was more faithful. If only I did everything perfectly consistently, then God would be pleased with me. Or maybe it's self-pity and shame. If only I could master the sin that I was battling with. I'm just worthless. God, he just... Spending too much time focusing on your brokenness and despairing rather than looking at Christ and what he is doing. Many of these things are good. Of course they are. We need to read our Bibles. We need to pray. But they need to stem from knowing God, and they need to grow out of a love for him. They won't make us right with him in themselves. They're not meant to be ways to earn God's approval, but they should be a response of worship. Second, if you find yourself submitting to the flesh, confess it to God. Confess it to a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Ask a church leader for your help. If you're at odds with a fellow believer, seek reconciliation. 
The work of the Spirit is to bring us into perfect unity with God and one another. If you are asking God to reveal sin in your life and he's laying something on your conscience, don't ignore it. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And finally, my question I want you to ask yourself this week is, are you setting your mind on earthly things or on the eternal things? Exercise your will to focus on him and what he has promised to do and trust him to carry it out. He is producing this fruit among his people. This is what God is doing. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he who called you, and he also will bring it to pass. This is a promise. Don't just stop at asking God to reveal your sin, but ask him to reveal what he is doing in your life and among his people, and respond in worship. When we recognize God's hand in our life, and in the life of somebody else, we should be calling attention to it. Take that opportunity to give God the glory and to make much of him. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you've been so good and kind to us to reveal yourself in your mercy. You've made a way for us to be made right with Christ. Lord, would we remember that it is only through you, by your work and your power, that we've been made right? And would our hearts and our minds and our bodies, all that we are, respond in worship and glorify you? Lord, would you be praised? Would you be magnified in our lives? Would we set aside our wills, our self-will, our desire to be independent and be wholly surrendered to you? We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.